Welcome to the Pete on Software podcast, where we program with passion. This is the podcast that discusses technology, the business side of software, and the tech people that drive our industry. And now, here's your host, Pete Shearer. Hi, and welcome to episode 39 of the Pete on Software podcast. I'm recording this on Monday, August 31st, 2015. Today, I want to talk about something that I just recently heard about on the James Altucher podcast, and that's something that's called Warren Buffett's two-list system or his 25 and 5 rule. It's a way to prioritize the things that you should work on and to help you to keep from being distracted. So the story basically goes like this. I don't know if it's apocryphal. I don't know, but I think the lesson here is really strong. So there was a guy uh, named Mike Flint who was a Warren Buffett's personal airline pilot for about 10 years. And he's also flown for presidents. So, I mean, he was a a pretty good and well-known pilot. He was talking about his career priorities with Warren Buffett. And Warren said he should go through a three-step exercise. And step one was he told, uh, Warren Buffett told the guy, Mike Flint, to write down his top 25 career goals. So he wrote them down on a sheet of paper. And then he asked him to review the list and circle his top five goals out of those 25. All right, so now you can have that list that way. You could have written this on two sheets of paper. So basically you have 25 things that are your career goals and then you have another list that is the five most important of those goals to you. Now, the guy was happy. He was like, you know, thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Buffett for helping me see what it is I should do. This is a good exercise. And Warren's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, you want to start working on those five. That's great. But what are you going to do with the 20 that you didn't circle? And then the guy said, well, the top five are my primary focus, but the other 20 come in a close second. They're still important, and I'll work on these intermittently as I see fit. They're not as urgent, but I plan to give them a dedicated effort. And Warren's like, no, 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 no. You got it wrong, Mike. Everything you didn't circle just became your avoid at all costs list. No matter what, these things get no attention from you until you've succeeded with your top five. What's our lesson here? Again, like I said, whether the story is true or not, what can we learn? First of all, if we apply this to ourselves as developers or technologists in general, what can we say? So there are things you want to learn, you want to get good at, you want to get better at. What do you want to do? Do you want to learn to market yourself better? Do you want to work on your blog? Do you want to focus on mobile development, JavaScript development? Do you want to learn databases better? Do you want to learn about NoSQL stuff? Do you want to learn about Ruby? Or do you want to learn about, you know, pick a language, right? Do you want to learn about the new Elixir framework, whatever it is, you probably have a list of things you're interested in. Maybe you want to see how Raspberry Pis work and you want to play with quadcopters, all of these things. So one of the things that developers are very good at is starting projects. And this, I mean, it's it's a broader problem too. You know, there's always that kind of that old chestnut about the husband who's always tinkering around the house and he starts 900 things, uh, never finishes any of them. So, I mean, I know we have that same problem and it's not completely not universal. It's something that's a shared experience, but uh, developers are known for being bad at that, that we like to take projects and we like to get them 80, 90% of the way there. That's the fun time. That's when you're doing the new development. That's when you're creating. That's not when you're trying to hammer out the last little bug fixes or try to figure out why your site's not rendering correctly in a specific browser or on a specific mobile device. That stuff's not fun. And that's where we get disinterested and start another project. GitHub is littered with projects that are 90% done. We need to focus on being finishers. So that's what this list is about. If you sit there and make a list of the 20 things you want to know, you know, taking the things I already said for myself, you know, what do I want to work on? I mean, I do have this podcast. I do have a blog. Uh, I do want to learn technologies that are new to me, and I do want to keep up with things. And I have, on top of that, all my goals that uh, were already stated earlier this year in my podcast, those things, which this is a check-in point, slightly over halfway through the year. I am good on two of them. A third one I need to get a little farther on, but I'm doing all right. 
those all those things are vying for my priorities. So I need to focus in and I need to say, what are the top five things I need to get accomplished? And I need to not work on anything else until those are done. So does that mean I abandon my blog while I'm working on writing my book? Does that mean I podcast a lot less while I'm working on a side project or learning a new JavaScript front-end framework, covering my three goals there? Or are those my five? Maybe my five are uh, in no particular order. Number one, get regular on the podcast. Number two, keep, keep regular, get regular on the blog. Number three, write the book. Number four, the framework. Number five, the side project. That's it. If you're not one of those things, you're out. So I heard about some great new thing on .NET Rocks. That's great. There's no room for you until I'm done. Maybe I heard about there's something at work that some guys are talking about and they think would be really great. That's great. If I need to learn it for work, I can work on it at work because that's part of my job. That's something I'm going to be doing. But that's not something I'm going to sit there and work on side project for just for fun. I'm going to throw something on GitHub. Can't do it. I have limited time. You have limited time. I'm not special. This is all about what can you do? You need to focus, you need to stop being distracted, and you need to finish. You need to ship software, you need to ship whatever it is you're doing, if that's a a book, if that's a blog post, if that's a training course that you're working on, if that's whatever that is, right? Uh, If it's a website for your your kid's baseball team, whatever it is, you need to ship it. You need to stop getting it to 90% and you need to get it across the goal line. And then when you've taken those first five, then you can work on the other things. Everything can't get 5% of your attention. That's not going to work. You need to give things some good attention. In this case, even five might be too big, you know, per his rule. Maybe there are five things, you know, they still need prioritized, they still need worked on, but if he's trying to make it 25 things or 20 things, get down to five things, maybe it's even worse. You know, maybe it needs to be a smaller number. I'm not sure. Obviously, Warren Buffett is insanely more successful than I am. So there we go. Just a, just a thought, just something that was on my mind and just something that I wanted to share with you guys. For my picks of the week this week, there's two things. Number one is an article that I found from the iOS dev newsletter, and it's about do not let your user see spinners. So you guys are pretty familiar with whether it's web, whether it's mobile, all the platforms have something like this where you can see a spinner, you can see the thing on Windows phone that kind of looks like the front of a kit car, which is right past all those kind of things, just to let you know, hey, we're waiting, right? This article is all about how to do this and maybe not have people wait. Maybe not ever show a spinner. This is something that Instagram, I know, pioneered at some time ago where they were always kind of prefetching data in the background. If you're uploading a picture, they're always starting to upload picture as you do it, as you're starting to apply the filters and or as you're starting to type, hanging out with my friends, hashtag blessed, or whatever it is you're putting on there. They're already uploading the picture in the background. They're doing those things so that the experience for you is faster. I think... You know, this article is, is saying that kind of thing. It's also saying, you know, don't be afraid to show them what you have and then get more. So in a mobile paradigm, let's pretend uh, I'm looking at the Reddit app, right? And then as soon as I open it, I've cached the list and let them see the list. And then I start fetching the new items and then those items update. So you're not showing a spinner, you're showing them something, and then you're showing them fresher versions of that. You don't want to just show them like a blank table view and then just a spinner, you know, let them see something. It makes the application appear more responsive. Uh, It lets them do something while you're working. Just a good idea. I have that link in the show notes for you. The second one, second pick of the week this week is about something called Amazon Underground. And so what Amazon Underground is, is a program that's involved on the Amazon App Store. And what they're going to do is you have to have, so there's eligibility requirements. 
They are that your mobile app must be available for download from at least one other app store like Google Play and be monetized in one of the ways. It has to be available for purchase, like at a cost. It has to have in-app items that are available for purchase, kind of like Candy Crush or Clash of Clans where you can buy gems or you can buy power-ups in some way. You know, all the kind of in, in-app purchases. It, ha- it can't be a subscription application. And they have to, the things that are in the Amazon version have to be very similar or better than the non-Amazon version. And when you submit it, you must make your app available on at least one non-Amazon device. So things that are not good candidates, things like antivirus or clock apps that run in the background, whatever, they want it to be apps that people are interacting with. But what Amazon Underground is, is it's an app. So Amazon Underground itself is an application for the Android phone. It has all the functionality of your regular, of the regular Amazon store or whatever, but there's over 10,000, according to them, it will be over $10,000 in apps, games, and in-app items that are actually free. The, you know, they go on to talk about the fact that all these freemium applications that are seem to be free, uh, you know, they seem to be something that, oh, I can play Clash Clans for free. And you can, but if you want to get somewhere, if you want to play with some of the people or you just want to sit around, you want to be able to play it all the time and not be stuck waiting for builders to build things or whatever, you know, you buy some gems and then you play. You know, most serious players I know have spent some amount of money on it for a free game quote, free. Well, in Amazon Underground, they're saying you'll find 100% free versions of popular premium titles like Office Suite Professional 8, Goat Simulator, Photo Suite 4, or things with in-app purchases like Star Wars Rebels Recon Missions, Angry Birds Slingshot, Looney Tunes Dash, and more. The way that their new model works is that they're paying them a certain amount on a per-minute played basis in exchange for weighing their normal app fee. So it's still free to the user, and Amazon is going to pick that up. So they're going to be the ones that are pushing ads or whatever to you in order to do it. So what it says, and and some of the fine print and some of the other articles, is that there's going to be an interstitial ad that will be played each time the app is launched. Amazon's going to then pay a developer approximately 0.002 cents or dollars per minute, so two-tenths of a cent per minute based on how much their apps are used. So really, this is something where your application is going to drive installations of Amazon Underground. You know, a lot of people today, there's a lot of reasons why not, but there's a lot of people today who do not make use of the Amazon store. They put their application out on Google Play because things like Google Play services are really useful. But if you put it out on Android and you make it try to work for the Kindle, some of those things, it just doesn't work out. So you can put it in the store, but just not make it Kindle available. Or you have to disable a lot of features to get around the fact Google Play isn't there or use less less uh, robust versions. So this is a little different. Remember, they even said one of their points was they want to allow it to be installed and it needs to work on a device that isn't a Kindle, at least one device. What they're trying to do, it sounds like, is drive installations of Amazon Underground, which is a not quite an app store, but I mean, it's an application whose only purpose is to serve other applications which sounds like an app store to me. And then they're going to collect the money. And now I know Amazon is a huge fan of losing money. So it's possible that they're not going to be making a ton at this two-tenths of a cent per minute pay to the developers. If you think about this, so the developers need to do some extra work. They need to modify their apps, potentially. They need to forego any of their own revenue models. And you know, again, everyone knows there are very few people getting rich off the App Store. There are only a few people who are making money from the App Store. You look at David Smith, who's underscore David Smith on Twitter, who makes his living as an application developer just for iOS apps. He's got five, six, seven, however many apps he has in the store that are working right now. 
revenue split amongst them. You know, that's that's the only way you make a living. He's not a millionaire sitting on money. He's not making Flappy Bird's money where he's pulling in however many grand a day. He's not making Clash of Clans money where he's making three million a day or five million a day or whatever the heck it is now. You know, you have to have a big hit if you're going to make that kind of money. So obviously people aren't getting rich, but I mean, there are people who launch an application that they have to support. You know, they charge 99 cents for it. They charge $2 for it, whatever, or they have in-app purchases. You have a free version of the app. However, you work it out that you had some extra filters or some extra features that you let unlock, or maybe your app has a service and you're doing that. You're building that. You're supporting that. So now Amazon's saying, no, this is going to be strictly on use. So instead of someone with a decent amount of marketing and an application that Let's pretend I have an extremely useful application. Let me think about something like Instapaper. I don't use Instapaper as much as I once did, but you pay money. It was at one point it was four ninety nine. Sometimes it would go on sale, but five dollars. So Marco Arment got my five dollars, and I get Instapaper. I don't use Instapaper like a whole lot, like as far as minutes spent in the application, the way we're going to collect revenue here. So you know, in order for and and of course Marco uh, loses thirty percent of that to Apple. So he's only getting about $3.50. In order for him to make $3.50 from me, if he made Instapaper for this, he would need to, I would need to use Instapaper for 1,750 minutes. And assuming I use Instapaper even 10 minutes a day, that's 175 days. And I don't use the mobile application of Instapaper. You know, I, I bought the app, so I have the service. There's all these things that go together. You know, the web, there's the web version of it. The things get emailed to me. They can get dropped in my Kindle. You know, all the things that Instapaper has rolled up to it. Uh, And then the app just helps the integration of, I can check it on my phone. I can tie in some other things. So I don't know if for someone like Marco, would this be a good deal, right? This for what, I mean, think about that. We just look at the numbers, 1,750 minutes. I mean, for an application where you might charge a dollar and get 70 cents of it, it takes 350 minutes. So someone has to use your app for almost six hours, right? In order for you uh, to get the money you would have gotten in the first place. So I don't know if this is another case of the kind of like the Fire Phone and like tons of other things that Amazon has done. I don't know. But I think it's interesting. I think it's worth some of a discussion, as you can tell by the fact that I actually have ended up talking more about this pick of the week than my original topic of the, of the show. Uh, so obviously it is a huge discussion launch. So, you know, check it out. I'll have the link in the show notes. Uh, just check it out and think about it. All right, that's it for this week. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can find me at Pete on Software on Twitter or on my blog, PeteOnSoftware.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.